read Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll just read the verse three verses. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you all so much for um, having me. Um, Both Matt and Justin uh, and Lisa are very dear friends. to me also, and so it's just been really, it's just really great to hear to be with you all, it just really is. And, um, you know, when I was, I was asking Matt, like, hey, you know, they just gave an open invitation for me to just kind of speak into the context of the, the church, and so we just spent a little time on the phone this week, and it was just like, hey, you know, what, what are you, what's going on, what are you sensing, and uh, kind of tell me what's going on with the church, and and, and it, it really just seemed like we're just on a very similar journey. Um, Eastern Fellowship is a similar church as um, uh, Christ. I'm getting used to the new name, guys, so sorry. Christ City Church is a, a very similar church to Christ City Church. And, um, and, and one of the things, that, for, for me, it's been about, I'm going in 11 years of actually like living in the community and trying to do this. But... My whole life, actually, uh, my parents were really involved in urban ministry and um, was engaged in this. And so when I came to the CCDA conference for the first time in 2010, I um, was telling them, I said, hey, do you know about this conference called the Christian Community Development Association? And my dad was like, oh, I didn't know they had a a word for that. I thought it was called being a Christian, you know? (laughs) And so I really grew up in a household that that, kind of engaged in this way. And, And one of the things that I've just... Uh, um, with the swirl of the political climate, um, just the need for a reckoning of justice on so many different levels, um, and then just, you know, in my adult life, spending a significant, like, getting past my 20s and spending, you know, a significant amount of time um, and doing this kind of work as an adult, I've just realized the, the need for spirituality to sustain the long work of, of justice. Um, I, part of what I was lamenting over last year was just that there were, what I was excited about maybe, you know, 10 years ago, were there were some Christians who cared about justice, but also were very committed to Jesus. And what I've kind of noticed is that the, a lot of people who, um, who have been Christian that um, are committed to justice are kind of getting a little softer on Jesus, you know, or they might use Jesus as a theology or philosophy, but not necessarily as a practice, you know, and, and, and it's not looking that much different than the activist that's not a Christian and the activist that is a Christian. And part of that reaction is a reaction to um, some of the political climate of like the, the conservative right that uh, um, you don't really see, like you got two kinds of fundamentalists. You got conservative fundamentalists, and you got liberal fundamentalists. But they're basically two sides of the same coin, just different perspectives. But I think when you were use the word Christian, there should be something that's very distinct about you. And the word 
uh, Arabon is the name where our ministry is, 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 is called, uh, named after. And Arabon means a foretaste of things to come. And we believe that a Christian community ought to be a foretaste of what a heaven is like. It doesn't mean that, like, like, that everybody's going to think the same. But just a simple fact that you mean Christian, uh, um, what does that mean? And how, how does that make that different? And how is that going to be good news? And so I just really want to just sow um, a seed into you all about just some things I've just learned over the journey about, like, when you're just in between of, like, the promised land, like, where you see flourishing, where you believe that God's kingdom wants to come on earth as is in heaven, that you really believe that the work of justice is something that God wants you to, to participate in, and that it's not just, like, when we die and go to heaven, but something that we should work and fight for today, while at the same time, it's a struggle bus, it's a straight-up struggle bus. It's like a significant challenge, and you're like, what do we do? And oftentimes what can happen is that we can like, hey, I, I feel like God is saying, like, I should, uh, 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 God is on our, I feel like I'm on the side of God, but if, if, if I'm doing God's will, how come this isn't happening? And you can oftentimes lose and, and get a frustration that can happen and a, an exasperation that can happen. But... What does it look like, like what, for us to hear the word of God and, and what does God have to say about that? And that's what I call the wilderness experience. And what I'll be sharing with you today is just making sense of the wilderness walk. So let's pray. Spirit, I just want to just join in again with what Matt prayed and we all prayed here that you would just use the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in scripture, the metaphor of bread is oftentimes used um, as like God's basic provision for us. Like so, you, you know, bread is oftentimes used as the, the, the basic thing that will sustain uh, life. And when you see the word meat, meat is like a, a, a kind of metaphor for a blessing. You know, you just get the basic bread, but if you get meat, that's an extra blessing. But then when you get milk and honey, that is actually like flourishing. That's like way over the top. It's like old country buffet, which is like a big thing back in my uh, uh, church growing up when you got a chance to go to old country buffet the, for milk and honey. And so this whole idea of flourishing, I think one thing I just want to start off by saying that you can see that God wants people to flourish. Not just sustain, not just be blessed on occasion, but actually flourishing. And if you don't have a theology that starts with God wanting you to flourish, then you really don't have a, a clear biblical view of faith. If you look at what the Genesis 1 narrative is about, it's about God wanting to share the flourishing, the beauty, the, 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 the goodness, the beautiful, the diversity, all of that. And then what happened in Genesis 3 was there was a fall and there began to be lack and there began to be oppression and there began to be brokenness. But... It's important to understand that that is not where the good news starts. The good news doesn't start with bad news. The good news starts with flourishing. Can I get an amen? I grew up in a church where, where, where you know, people talk back to you. It helps the sermons to be a lot shorter, too, if you speak back. So I, I just want to encourage you to give a little something. So, so, the, so the whole thing of flourishing is the key. And what happened to really understand the biblical narrative is that the people of God, like in Genesis, there wasn't a people of God. There was like, a, like Adam and Eve, and there were, were patriarchs and individuals and families. 
But when God decided to form what he calls the people of God, that happened in Exodus when they weren't at the top of the empire, they were under the foot of the empire. So it's important to understand that God's people were formed in a context of oppression. And so there will be seasons and times of your life where you will kind of have an Egypt season where there's a time of oppression. There's a time of, uh, of, of where you can't flourish. There's a time where things are, are messed up and you got to cry out to God. See, what, what happened in, in Exodus, it says that, that, that they heard that God heard the cry of the oppressed. God always hears the cry of the oppressed. And that's an amen right there, because when you have a time of oppression in your life, you need to be reminded that God hears the cry of the oppressed. Now, there's some times of a season of flourishing. So these oppressed people got a revelation of the promised land. And so what happened was sometimes you can be oppressed for so long that you just get used to it. And you say, this is my lot in life. But then they cried out to God, said, God, do something. The God finally did do something with Moses, and he miraculously brought them out. Now, what you can see is that it takes something that God can get you out of Egypt, but a lot of times it takes a little longer time to get Egypt out of you. So the whole journey of the wilderness experience was like, hey, don't take the way of Pharaoh into this new promised land. And it's important to understand that we can't just go from oppression to flourishing. There is a sanctification process that has to happen, a, a being set apart. And this is what the wilderness walk is all about. The wilderness walk, you know, is, is a thing where, where, you know, you see that God wants to do something in your life, but you don't really know how that's going to happen. I know in my life, um, uh, um, you know, Joy and I, for the last nine years, have been struggling, like she struggles with chronic health challenges. And I know that God doesn't want her, like that's not flourishing, but we've just been having to like figure out how to, 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 to just navigate life and, and trust a good God and, and try to see kind of when you work with the doctors, but you don't really always have the money and just really trust and to be able to see God in between where things are now and where we believe things ought to be. You know, one of the things when you're a pastor, I think that's a challenge part is that you have a celebration of people uh, um, who, who have had babies that are born. And then you also have people in your community that are dealing with infertility. And those are two things, both the grief and the gratitude are two things that, that you just have to hold within your heart and begin to know how to mourn with those that mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. See, that's a wilderness experience. But what God promises to us is that no matter what's going on in our life, that there is always going to be bread that will sustain you for whatever stage in life that you're in. God will give you your daily bread every single day. See, that's a promise that we can, we, we can hold on to. Manna that you don't know that you need it. They had no idea that they needed manna when they were in Egypt. They realized they needed it once they were in the wilderness. And so sometimes there are things that you just won't know about God until you're in the wilderness. See, another thing is, is that when you're in this promised land, in your this journey, what the wilderness experience is about is basically about giving you the container that you need 
to basically uh, 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 be able to, 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 to hold the milk and honey that God has for you. See, oftentimes we don't have the maturity to handle the things that God wants to give us. You know, I give you an example of this is like, you know, whenever you see um, uh, um, somebody that wins a lottery, the statistics of people that win the lottery actually go broke within three years of actually having uh, getting that lottery ticket. It's crazy. And like, why is that? Well, it's because they didn't build the habits to be able to maintain and hold and they have the container to maintain that level of wealth versus if you had somebody that built a business from zero and over the next three years they just kept on getting more and more and more if you had that same amount of money they would build a container in order to be able to hold that type of wealth john luna said it this way reputation is what people think about you in public and character is who you are when nobody is looking See, God is working on that character piece to try to see who we are when nobody is looking and not just the reputation. Oh, man, I think about this at Eastern Fellowship because we have a reputation of being a ministry that does the work of justice. And sometimes we could believe our own hype more than the actual work that we're doing. It's scary. See, the thing that I think for churches and ministries like us is that it's easier to put something as a value statement and to say it on your website, this is what we're about. You need that, we need that integrity, that care to actually like live into this. And Lord, have mercy. Because this is hard. This is really, really hard work, but we can know that God is doing something inside of us. And it's really, really important to understand that churches are made of individuals. And so when you see that your church is not living up to the values that it uh, uh, ascribes to be, it's important for you to understand that you probably aren't living up to the values that you aspire to. And the only way that's going to happen is if we together try to, 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 to work with what is the Spirit doing to begin to have the type of character, the container that God wants us to have for the type of flourishing that God wants us to have. Kind of get an amen. amen. So he talks about this, 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 this kind of uh, 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 container, this character aspect that God is trying to reveal. But there's also this theme of hunger. See, when we experience lack, it, it, it gives us a deeper awareness of our dependency of God. My friend Mark Charles is probably a friend of the many folks here. You know, he spent a good amount of time on the Navajo tribe. And you know how uh, um, um, Navajo, um, what do you call it? Not plantation, but um, reservation. That's it. Yeah, thank you. Reservation. <laughs> Almost like a plantation, but it's very different. <laughs> um, so he spent time on a reservation. And you know how, like, a lot of Christian Western missions is, you know, Basically, the mission opportunity goes to where the poorest places are. After people have been colonized, they come back to tell them about Jesus, right? And so, so one of the things that Mark Charles said, people would kind of come and they preach a message about faith. And here are these, like, very wealthy, privileged people coming and preach a message about faith. And Mark Charles says, hey, guys, these people can't teach you anything about faith. Like, you've literally had to ask God for your daily bread, and these folks have never been hungry in a day of their life. 
And when you've never been hungry in a day in a day in your life, there's a level of faith that you just can't teach to somebody who has eaten all the time. And I began to think about this because there's not a day in my life I've never really been really hungry. You know, I wear this jacket to cover up a little bit of the facts of this, you know? <laughs> so, like, you know, I, I never really had to be hungry. And so then what happens in my life is that when there's a lack for something that my college degree or my connections or my abilities to happen, I feel like God is holding out on me and God is not being God. But what happens is God says, you know what, David, I, I'm providing that lack so that you can begin to, 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 to see your need and dependence on me. Because if you don't, then, then you're going to think that, you know, you have all that you need. And you don't need me anymore. See, the wilderness experience helps us to begin to see our lack because of the hunger. And it reveals our character. But then here's another thing. It also helps us to have humility. That we don't forget God. Because, you know, particularly, this is really, really hard in our American context. We love bootstrap narratives. We love narratives of people that came from nothing and they did everything in their own strength and power to, to, to make it happen. They, quote, quote, pull themselves up by your bootstrap. And see, the crazy part about this, 6,000 years ago, however long this was written, it says, uh, um, it was written that Moses speaking uh, on behalf of God says, when you have eaten and you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget your God, failing to observe his commandments, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and the silver and gold increases and all uh, uh, you have is multiplied, then the heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. I mean, you know, like these like bougie people, you know, like, like you knew they grew up in the hood. You knew they came from this backwoods kind of like uh, podunk town. And then they, you know, they went to, to school and then they got the job and then they started to like uh, maybe do a speaking circuit or, or, or they got a job where they got a chance to stay in a nice fancy hotel and they start eating fancy food. And then when they go back home, they can't eat their mama's chitlins no more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these people that act like, you know, they say, well, you know, I did this and I know that other people can do it. They're just lazy and they don't even know the difference anymore between chattel slavery and immigration. See, this, this is the type of stuff that the scriptures were trying to warn us from because you began to think that you have your own, uh, uh, you, you did this all by yourself. And God's like, I was the one that did this. I was the one that saved you. I was the one when you uh, uh, couldn't pay for college, I paid for college. And that time you didn't have a meal and I was the one that provided a meal. And that time that you lost a job and you're about to have a child and I was the one that was provided for you, that gave you the meal, that gave you the health care, that gave you all the things that you need. For I was the one that provided for you. See, some of you might be in the same economic status that you were when you were growing up and you didn't really have a rags to riches story. Or some of you could still be in riches to riches or rags to rags. But the reality of it, no matter where we're from, we can all have a, a what they call this bootstrap type of spirituality. 
This is a temptation for us to forget who God is when God blesses us. So when we go through seasons of like Egypt and we're on the way to the promised land, this wilderness experience helps us not to have a bootstrap type of spirituality. Moses said, the Lord led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness that the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. And he brought you out of a hard rock and he uh, 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 gave manna to eat in the wilderness and something your ancestors had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. See, the way that you save yourself from a bootstrap type of spirituality is that you got to remember the things that God did for you. See, we oftentimes, uh, uh, um, because of efficiency, we've gotten rid of, rid of testimony time. That's it right there, testimony time. See, in my church, testimony time was the thing that people used to do uh, 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 when they ran out of stuff to say, you know. <laughs> but I actually realized that was a very formative thing. The scripture says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the what? The word of our testimony. See, testimony helps us not to have a bootstrap type of spirituality. And see, when we get a pity party in the wilderness, because you could see uh, um, what the people of Israel would do, they would oftentimes get a little like frustrated with Moses and God and start complaining and be like, it was better when I was in Egypt. It was better when I was in the world. Sinners act a lot of times better than Christians. I hate Christians and all that kind of nonsense. But what, what, what happens is when you begin to do testimony, you begin to realize that, you know, God was good and God is good and God will continue to be good. And, and I just I just need to get through this and discern how is it that God's going to provide the particularities of this. I know one of the things for me that I oftentimes have to remember is like doing this work at Erebon has been super, super hard. I mean, it's been really, really hard. I started to write and started to teach and think about this in 2008. I began to, uh, um, around 2011, I, I started this internship, and, um, you know, I got connected with, it was a very lonely type of thing, I got connected with CCDA, and then I went to talk in 2011 to a ministry that would go nameless, but, you know, you got a lot of, like, white ministries that are in urban communities, and they raise a ton of money, and they'll have any kind of, like, leaders of color, and I just saw, like, that was happening in our community, so I said, hey, let me do something about it. But I thought that the kind of funding would happen the way white people get funding. Oh, how naive. <laughs> and so I go to the national you know, ministries that are in the chocolate cities that um, have the white people talking about justice. And I say, hey, man, how do y'all raise up leaders of color? And they're like, oh, we don't really do that. You should talk to Leroy Barber. And so, <laughs> so, so I go to talk to Leroy Barber. And I leave away from that conversation. At that point, it was a for-profit type of business. I kind of had a for-profit business model. One of the things that I've kind of learned through experience is that when uh, uh, a lot of times white people are used to deal with people of color, it's really more as a position as to help. And so you either could be uh, cheap help or you could be an expensive help. So I decided to be an expensive help so people respect me. And then also so that you know, I could have resources to begin to do the things but then the Lord told me, David, I need you to make this into a nonprofit. And I said, God, don't you know I'm black? This don't tend to work out well for black people. And we went on a journey. 
I was speaking somewhere, and, and this is the, I started the first Erebon project. It was a CD and a book, and um, we took our own money, $2,000 of our own money, which was a lot of money when you were like kind of a teacher, musician type of, type of vocation. And uh, we ran out because we just never did it before. And so I had to start doing some fundraising, never did fundraising before. I just spoke at some kind of workshop. I had no idea who was in there. And, and, and by from the CCA conference in September when the Lord gave me that word, uh, I did the nonprofit paperwork and all that stuff. And by December, there was a lady that said, hey, I have $10,000 I need to give. I want to give five to my church and five to a nonprofit, and, and you're the one. This lady was an African-American woman who was a widow. I had no idea that God would provide through that way. I think about a few years later where there was a really great intern that felt a call to live in Richmond. She was a black woman who uh, had a lot of potential but didn't come from a family where she could raise her own salary. And, and I, but I felt like she was going to live here. I felt some level of responsibility. felt like she was great to align with our ministry. And I, and I had my first salaried employee, and I had no idea uh, um, how that was going to happen. But I just felt like by faith I should try to get that next uh, 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 salaried employee. And she called me one day and said, David, did you see what happened? And it was probably somewhere December 30th or 31st, about a year or two later. And it was somebody that gave a $10,000 check. A $10,000 check. I don't know if you saw that time Tyler Perry gave T.D. Jakes a um, $1 million check and, and T.D. Jakes fell out like this. That's happened to me. <laughs> That's what it was like in my house. I was like, <laughs> but then, you know, I'm just going by faith, walking by faith, walking by faith. And the seasons where they get hard. The seasons in the, in the, in the, in a year where like May, June, and July gets to be a, a, a lean year, a, a lean time of the year. And the internship, the expenses go up because the internship is going. And I was in between this. We just got finished uh, um, putting on our first conference of 400 people with four people. We put a 400-person conference with four people. So this happened in April, and then we go into, and we just broke even. And then I was just emotionally, physically, spiritually depleted. Go into this challenging season. We're trying to make this, this Race Class Kingdom of God study series. Um, and we're just traveling all around the country. And I'm just tired. I'm just one of these like low points. And what um, a friend of mine who was a journalist, uh, um, she sp spent time like, like, like the NBCs and the CBS and stuff like that. And, and when, her, when she got one of her first jobs, I mean, she, she was like doing the area when. Um, Bill Clinton came out with Monica Lewinsky scandal and all that stuff, and she was covering things like that. Now, when she got the job, um, she's a minority woman, and when she got the job, she called up a mentor of hers and said, you know what, thank you so much. Like, I, mean, I just, I got this job, and God provided for me. And she's telling me about this testimony while I'm in my kind of low point, and she's just like, hey, let me just tell you what God did for me. Like God gave me, like I didn't have a job. I felt like God was calling me to be a journalist. And then the Lord provided with me this opportunity to become a journalist. And I'm just like excited and, and I'm, I'm thankful for the blessings that God provided. But then there came some times in her journalist career where, you know, there's like 80 people that are dead. And she has to be and report on that. And there's like some massacre, or there's like a Sandy Hook, or there's some kind of shooting that's going on. And she called this mentor of hers and said, you know what, like, you know, I, I just don't know if God wants me to do this anymore. 
because I'm dealing with these difficult and hard times, because, you know, seeing, uh, reporting on 80 people dying, or reporting on Sandy Hook, and reporting on this stuff, I just don't know if this is what God wants. And her mentor said to her, and this is the word that she gave to me, you know, just tell God that you just only want the blessings of Christ, but don't want to uh, deal with the sufferings of Christ. I was like, oh. Or I could, rem or just remember the ways that God has been good to you. See, we can't get the blessings of Christ without receiving the sufferings of Christ. Because the reality of it is, is that everybody suffers. If you ever look at those um, uh, uh, um, uh, promises of God in the Christian bookstores, one of the promises you will never see is that you will suffer. <laughs> you I got plans for you. You tell you. You know, you won't, you, won't, you won't be the lender, you'll be the borrower, you won't be the lender. I mean, like, it's a whole bunch of products, milk and honey. You will not see, you will suffer. But here's the great thing about being a Christian, is that God is suffering with you. See, Jesus came in the form of humanity and suffered with us. He didn't come as a privileged Roman citizen. He came as an unwed, as a child of an unwed teenage mother under oppression, and he was not dealing with the privileges of the Roman government. But and and then he he kept on uh, 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 just liberating people and and healing people, and it began to intimidate those who were in charge. And that led people to ultimately his crucifixion and unjust death sentence. And this is the person that we're following. So when you're in the wilderness experience, you want to know that God is with you. God is with you, helping you to build the character that you need, to have the humility that you need, and have the hunger that you need to, to, to begin to have the dependency, dependency that you need in order to receive the promised land promises that God has in your life. So I don't know where you find yourself today. If you're in the midst of the wilderness, if you're in a season of prosperity, or even if you're in a season of oppression, spiritually, physically, professionally, or just, you're just even a sense of disorientation. What's so great about communion, the reason why God tells us that, that as often as we're together to try to, to, to take communion together is because it reminds us that we have a God that has suffered with us and that is suffering with us now. And our healing is in this wilderness experience with Jesus. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to create a little bit of time of silence for you to just to see what the Spirit is doing in your heart and life. Don't be afraid of silence. I know I used to be afraid of silence, and sometimes can be because I don't know what God's going to say. To, I'm serious. I don't know what God's going to say to me, or there could be something like deeply emotional, something I don't like about myself that could emerge. But something that's been a really gift, a good gift to me, has been to realize that you know. God sees that, God knows that, and God wants to be in that with you. Whatever comes up, God wants to be in that with you. And so let's spend a little time just in silence. I'll offer up a prayer and see how the Lord wants to help us to make sense of the wilderness experience.